0: Hi, everybody. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and welcome to tonight's edition of The Agronomists. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. I guarantee it. So a few housekeeping items before we get rolling here. Uh, if it's your first time joining us, The Agronomists, please let us know in the comments, whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook or Twitter. Um, there's a chance to win a hat, which that uh, that will be be a key point in just a few moments when you see who my guest is all right um also for watching tonight you do uh qualify for ceu credits if that's something you like to collect but uh, you have to head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomists um tomorrow morning to sign up for your CEU credits and you only have four weeks to let us know that you watch. So, uh, please, please do that. Um, shout out to Warren Steckenberger who just said hello. Uh, glad to see you here. All right. So who else is here? Um, my two guests and I am so excited. Um, Ray DeBanco from Calgary or a tanning bed. We're not sure cause we're having some lighting issues and Peter Weepy Johnson and look, there's the hat. Yes. <laughs> All right, Absolutely. so everyone, woo! Finally, so we had to twist Sean's arm, but we were like, "Finally, okay, we can send one to Wee Pete." After six years of Wee Pete's bird, we figure he's sticking around. So there you go. It's beautiful, Pete. Good job. Okay, I don't have a hat. I'm now, very happy.
1: So. Very happy. Pete got well, a got a hat.
0: That's good. Yeah. So Ray, I, I don't see that you're wearing a hat so I feel like... No,
1: but I brought you something, Lindsay. I know you like <gasps> props. So I have a oh. uh, happy oh. Easter bunny who's in the tanning bed with me.
0: Yes, in the <laughs> tanning bed with you. That's great. So that we'll have roast bunny by the time Peter, this is Peter, don't over even anything. talk
1: about animals and Ray in the tanning bed, okay? Don't get started on that one. <laughs> uh, uh, but also, I do want to yeah. know,
0: Peter. Peter did bring the sport coat... He, he did bring the power move. So here we go. Okay. So tonight's topic, though, which maybe I've mentioned but probably haven't, is is nitrogen management. And I have to say, Pete, this might be one of those shows where um, we had probably enough questions coming in before the show even started uh, to cover the entire hour. It was nuts.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that that's awesome. And, Lizzie, you know, oftentimes I will send some questions. You chastise me for that, so I I was quiet this time. And guess what? It, we didn't need to bring questions because there's been lots of uptake and lots of good questions coming in. And that's exactly what we want: is questions that you have. And between Ray and I and Lindsay, I think we'll do our very best to answer all, all of them.
0: Yeah, we absolutely will. But of course, there's plenty of time tonight to, to ask whatever. Uh... Um, you want to know from our two agronomists here on nitrogen, I will mention we do have a couple clips lined up for the show um, and we'll get to our first one relatively early, not quite yet, but but soon, um, just because it, it sort of lays out all the ways we lose nitrogen and I've dubbed it 50 ways to lose your N, a play on <laughs> 50 ways uh, to lose yeah. your lover with <laughs> apologies. Yeah. 50 ways. We're, anyway. we're not sure if, so if so Ray's looking
2: go. for 50 ways to lose the animals in his tanning bed with them or what. Right. <laughs> hey,
1: I, I can't help this. This is just the way it turned out. You guys are the this first is... time this has happened. Usually I look mm-hmm. normal, as normal as I can look, okay? Right.
0: So. Yeah. We did try. So everyone following along at home, we tried many things to try and get Ray's camera to fix. I himself.
1: think I like, like this look.
0: Well, you know what? You you do look very relaxed. So that's Thank good. you. Okay. Yes. Okay. So but but I do want to I do want to relatively quickly go um, to to uh, clip which unheard. But Ray, I want you to set the scene for us on the importance of using as much nitrogen as we put down and limiting those losses. What is the enormity of what we're trying to do here?
1: Well I think obviously a difference a bit between West and East when you look at the climate differential, and typically in the prairies we 're moisture challenged um, on the east. I could say usually you're you're at a moisture surplus, so for us, you know it's a little different following the four nutrient stewardship and thinking about how to manage our nitrogen. but with increased yields, we're putting a lot more nitrogen down earlier, and that predisposes us to potential for loss if the crop's not growing you're looking at the opportunity for nitrogen loss, and you need to look at situations very specific. I think if you start looking at the nitrogen cycle and what forms nitrogen are in at different times of the year and what loss mechanisms we have, you get a good idea of how you should manage your nitrogen. So whether it's leaching or denitrification, I think we have to be cognizant of those things, and we have to manage our nitrogen better. Based on application methods and the technology that we're going to talk about, that can reduce some of those potentials for losses.
0: Absolutely, and that cues us up perfectly. Oh, go ahead, Pete.
2: I was going to add. I just, I just, want to jump in. I just want to jump in because, like Ray, Ray absolutely nailed kind of those things. But, but when you said the enormity of of how this impacts like it really does become not only a financial cost to the grower if you overapply nitrogen and you lose a bunch of that nitrogen it's it's a negative impact on the bottom line but in the UK right now they may lose urea entirely. Urea fertilizer may be banned in the UK because of the losses you can get through volatilization and the ammonia that comes off and the impact, the negative impact that that has on the environment. So these environmental consequences, the greenhouse gases, we don't talk a lot about that, but oh, it's huge in terms of the impact that it could have on agriculture. So so we really do need to, as we go through this, remember the enormity of of some of those decisions or some of those impacts could have on us as as farmers. And before and I well, start the
1: next tip, Lindsay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump uh, in on Peter's comment because it's it's very well founded. You know, typically, as I said, in the West, we're not as concerned because of our environment, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned. And he mentions the EU, and if I think about Germany, um, you know, urea nitrogen can't be applied without some type of inhibitor. Uh, it's it's the law in, in a lot of places. You have to have an inhibitor to apply nitrogen fertilizer. And we're not there yet, uh, and we don't want to be there, but certainly we have to be cognizant of that. And Peter's right. No matter how small the losses are, they all roll up over millions of acres. And we start talking about, for example, nitrous oxide emissions and a 312 kind of multiplier on that from a CO2 equivalent it becomes very, very important. And we do need on the world scale to look at that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, on, I, I think you're both bang on that, you know, we're not at the regulatory point that many of these other places are, but we are moving in that direction, um, at least from our government's point of view on the offset system, on what we're working on. Nitrogen fertilizer was one of the few agriculture topics singled out. On some of these carbon offset uh, regula- regulations, so this is absolutely as as you said, Pete. You know, it's a financial thing, and absolutely we want every dollar we spend of of that nitrogen fertilizer to actually go towards yields um, for financial reasons. But realistically, it's an environmental decision as well. So, so now we're gonna go. Setting that all up. Now we're going to go. We're going to hear from John Hurd in this, uh, I believe it's a corn school with Calvin Hepner, And I, I want everyone to pay close attention to the one of the first sentences he says, which he refers to, this is something we should all have in our back pocket. And you're going to see uh, what he figures we should be carrying around. I thought it was hilarious. Okay, so so uh, Jay, producer Jay, let's go to that clip of John Hurd.
3: Taylor's this this has kind of become compulsory to have in your back pocket now because now that there are uh, s- s- some uh, uh, Improved products that can actually help us combat some of these losses. It's very important to know where, where to target those uh, uh, with specific farmers uh, their, their equipment and their timing and then where they should be uh, employing some of those specialty fertilizers, but the real culprit with losses is once nitrogen is in the nitrate form And mentioned the leaching is what occurs on our sandy or or soils where that nitrogen can move below the root zone but really of great interest is the uh, denitrification and when soils are saturated when it's warm right now within within 24 hours the microbes will consume oxygen in the soil and then they'll start to denitrify nitrate. Our made in Manitoba thumb rule is that in the spring when the soils are cool that we can lose 2 to 4 pounds of nitrogen per acre per day. But now that things are, are 20 degrees soil temperatures, you know, we'll lose threefold that. Maybe we're losing 8 to 16 pounds per day. And I, I think many of the states use similar values. So standing water on fields right now, not, not only is it impairing plants, like we see yellow crops, there's, that's oxygen deficiency in addition to nitrogen. And a particular concern here is the nitrous oxide loss, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. And it's interesting at the school here where we're talking about that and with with the specialty products, uh, the inhibitors and controlled release products or others, sometimes we show agronomic advantages, particularly in years when there are losses. But up there on the hill where they're talking about the environmental losses, frequently we show environmental advantages. Uh, Many of these products are actually quite effective at minimizing or reducing the nitrous oxide losses. And so uh, it's interesting when the environmental benefits are apparent before uh, some of the agronomic benefits. This
4: this would be a year though where you would expect to see uh, value for inhibitors?
3: Uh, Yes, Uh, we started out very dry here, we went 34 days without rain until Uh, late May, and then we've had more than more than normal rainfall. So uh, particularly for those plants that are late season that weren't using much water early like corn or others, they're ones where we would expect that if nitrogen had moved to the nitrate form, uh, it's vulnerable to some of these losses. Uh, Again, for those that are crop advisors or ag retailers, uh, and if they know what what the farmer's soil is like and what their uh, potential losses and their timing, then they may be able, to, with some of the improved products, be able to target those activities at at the red circles, which are the losses.
4: Risk, of course, wouldn't be exactly the same throughout a, a field. Do you see a day sometime when we alternate or, or have variable sources, perhaps using your urea? Yeah, that, that, a, a... That, that,
3: that's my wish list. I I I, I, hope, I I hope I hope the government can afford to keep me on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> or Well, I, mean, I hope they don't pension me off before we see uh, farmers applying uh, You know in low-risk areas of the field low risk areas of losses like maybe well-drained areas There may be urea or anhydrous ammonia is, is quite suitable But as they move to maybe lower landscapes or sandy ridges or things then products that tend to stabilize nitrogen more in the ammonium form or or control the uh, release uh, may have a particular advantage in those high-risk areas.
4: All right. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that happening at this point though? Uh,
3: not that I'm aware of. Uh, actually, I expect that there are some farmers probably uh, dabbling at this. And, and some of the uh, precision ag agronomists may, may be doing a bit of this, but not, not widely. Yet.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm. It's more of an intuitive thing too, not necessarily that there's science or, or research showing. Yes,
3: but it. if I'm looking for uh, a greater likelihood of payback, On on some of these more expensive products, uh, I would be putting it into that wet environment or to that environment where uh, 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 It's coarse sand where nitrogen may leach Uh, Just intuitively that that would be uh, targets where uh, my higher-priced products would pay for themselves Mm -hmm.
0: So I made a lot of notes, oh we've changed hats I cannot wait to see want, how many hats we see I tonight.
2: A, oh, no, just two, Honestly. but I, I'm, a, I'm a John Hurd woman now. He's one of my mentors. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Soil Safari John, he now has Twitter. We used to call him lovingly "Twitterless John Hurd, but he did, in fact, eventually join Twitter. And so now we can't call him that anymore. Um, So I made a whole bunch of notes because there's a lot going on in that. But most importantly, I just, I envisioned, because I took what he said literally, because sometimes I do that, like trying to fit that big card in your back pocket when you're (laughs) headed to the field. Instead of, of course, this concept of all the ways... The the 50 ways that we can lose our N. Um, So he he does mention, of course, picking areas of the field or a particular field that might be a better fit for some of the protective products. And I don't want to go there quite yet because first and foremost, I think a quick review of how we lose N and what forms are at highest risk is actually really important. So Ray, I'm going to go to you first. Maybe hey, that's great. And then Pete can pick
1: up after me and, and fill in the gaps. Um, there you go. He's, much yeah. he's much brighter. So I, I said it to the start before you showed that clip. Understanding the nitrogen cycle. Uh, what are the inputs? What are the outflows? What forms of nitrogen are more predisposed to loss? And, and John was pointing that out. Once you know, nitrogen changes, if we're using urea from urea hydrolyzes to ammonium, ammonium goes to nitrate. Nitrate is mobile. We use nit- lose nitrate through leaching or through denitrification. I think it behooves, and I'll use that word, uh, growers, producers, retailers, everybody to understand the nitrogen cycle and what it means for different forms of nitrogen in terms of, of losses. So when you have nitrate, as John mentioned, we have leaching potential. Uh, we also have denitrification potential so depending upon the soil conditions again situationally specific certain areas of the field more predisposed to loss than others so we have to be aware of that and that helps a lot when you start looking at enhanced efficiency fertilizers inhibitors stabilizers controlled release nitrogen where they fit john made another point about you know the high ground the low ground understanding where the losses occur So back in my younger days, we had a program at University of Missouri looking at an algorithm that would help us use these products in certain areas of the field. As John mentioned, and and John's going to mention, they're expensive. You only use them where they need to. Well, that makes economic sense, right? If you're trying to protect against loss, understand why the loss occurs, understand where it occurs, understand the tool that can help you reduce that loss, and then only use that tool when you need to. It's not an excuse for bad management. It is a, a tool to offset certain situations. And I think John made that comment about variable rate technology. If we can have variable rate technology to apply fertilizer, we have variable rate technology to apply enhanced efficiency fertilizers. Only use them where they make sense.
0: Pete, is, is that yeah. it? Or it's, it's, oh, No, I'm going no, to I was going to say, Pete's and, now going to fill in. The this is, this yeah. is why I planned so, this evening.
2: So, so I, I, I really think, because uh, Ray went through it very well, but, but I just want to zero in on this, the, the areas where growers need to be concerned. And one is with volatilization. And so volatilization really is a urea component. If you're using anhydrous ammonia... The chances, you can lose it if you don't close the slot, certainly with uh, anhydrous ammonia. But as long as you're closing the slot, volatilization isn't a big deal with ammonium nitrate. So 28% nitrogen, 32% nitrogen is half urea, half ammonium nitrate. So really, it's that urea component where we worry about the volatility. And the the more likely or the, the greater the risk of volatility comes with, with uh, high winds, Soil surface applications or or open slots, if you don't close a slot, you can get loss in a band as well. But if you incorporate, you tend mostly to get less worry about volatility. But really, that volatility is on the surface. So winter wheat right now, volatility of urea applications on winter wheat is something that you have to have in the back of your brain. And the other one is when it goes to nitrate. And when it goes to nitrate, we can get leaching. But leaching typically in season worries me way less. Even on a sand soil, it takes a lot of rain to leach that in season out of the root zone. It can happen. Six inches of rain for sure. But leaching is really a wintertime issue, much more so than an in season issue. So once it gets to the nitrate form, then it is the denitrification and I mean, leaching is bad in terms of moving nitrogen into the groundwater, and but it isn't the same environmental impact from a greenhouse gas standpoint as as the denitrification. And so heavy clay soils, denitrification, any time that the soil is going to stay wet for an extended period of time, that's when your denitrification losses really ramp up. So growers need to focus on those two losses and understand those two losses. And if they can understand those two losses and their soil conditions, then they can make a much better informed decision on when it's appropriate to use a protected nitrogen or to Protect the nitrogen you're applying versus when it it you don't really need that. And it it will be an economic cost that maybe doesn't bring any real benefit to you or the environment for that perspective.
1: So so Pete Mm -hmm. caught me being a homer, being a, a Western guy growing up in Manitoba and living in in Alberta now. So typically we don't spread or broadcast a lot of nitrogen fertilizer. More so now in the last few years, we are for different reasons on different farms, farm size and what have you. So the volatile loss I skipped over and and I'm gonna say a a mea culpa on that. I shouldn't have done that. And when we talk about stabilized nitrogen, you start spreading nitrogen as Pete mentioned, you look at environmental conditions, cool soils, rainfall within a short period of time, incorporation, but on winter wheat in Pete's world, you can't do that. So we do need to look at protecting our nitrogen if we're gonna be surface supplying. And as Pete mentioned, those types of, of conditions where we have you know, coarse textured soils, low organic matter, limited rainfall, moist soil that partially dissolves the fertilizer, leaves it on the surface where we have the volatile loss. We have particulate matter from ammonia emissions. So the stabilized nitrogen products fit very well there. Uh, Typically, if we're looking at split applications and you're making an application in June or July, we need to look at a stabilized application as well. So Pete, kudos to you and thank you for giving me my slap upside the head on the volatilization side. I should have mentioned that, but I did not.
0: Hey, come on now. I had no idea how tile drainage worked, I think, until I was like five years ago anyway so I'm just saying all right there are some things in the west we just do differently okay I did want to send a shout out to Les Nichols is watching from Bruce County um so hi Les and Alan is here hello Alan um and Jason Vote has a question in this same theme how important is that N inhibitor for volatilization losses if you're applying to dry ground and very little expectation of enough rainfall in particular UAN where only 50 percent is in the urea Form. So, of course, Jason is in Manitoba. It is incredibly dry, and uh, I happen to know of at least one farmer I spoke to today who's potentially rolling tomorrow, which would be the earliest ever. So, I'm sure we Pete will be pleased. Um, but yes. what's yeah? What's the answer there? How important is that? And when it's dry, how important is that? That's a. I'm going to jump in,
1: Pete. Um, you know, Jason, thanks for the question. I'm sure you're getting your shots back since I've taken them all as well. Now that I'm speaker, I'm going to expect to get them. You know, if I have a dry granule and it's a dry surface, then it stays dry. And the hydrolysis, the urea granule in that case is is very minimal on a dry surface. If I'm introducing UAN, um, in your case, a 28% nitrogen, and I have a liquid form, I'm starting to get some dissolved material on that surface of the soil, which is probably using a liquid on a dry soil could be worse than using a dry granule on a dry soil. So you want enough moisture to wash that material in after hydrolysis and dissolution of the granule, the fertilizer material, but just leaving it as mush, scientifically speaking, mush on the surface is a bad thing. So if you're applying liquid UAN uh, on dry surface, you're going to have some particulate matter sitting on the soil surface that's not going to have enough moisture to wash it in. So it may be worse to be using UAN in a dry condition as opposed to a dry granule. Now I'll let Pete jump on that.
2: Yeah, so, and and Ray's right again, to the dry granule, it's like putting a dry seed in dry soil before it rains, It you're putting it in high storage so it might as well be in the ground as as sitting in the bag a dry granule is the same thing with the lick on the soil surface it totally depends on how much moisture is in that soil if if it's just sitting basically absorb dries itself out on the soil surface because we're really not talking about very much liquid right we're putting on maybe 40 gallons per acre of 28 cent so will it will it uh dissolve into or or adhere to that very surface soil layer absolutely it it really does dry itself out pretty quickly and so then it's like a dry granule unless we're getting moisture wicking up from underneath and if you walk out in the morning and you know the soil surface is wet then there better be enough moisture there that it's actually taking some of that nitrogen down in with it. Or could get volatilization. The other thing, though, Jason, that I will say, and and 100%. Thanks for the question. Like you and I have taken shots back and forth, so that's kind of cool. But the other thing to remember is that it's pretty cold right now, and you get you're at far less risk of loss under cold soil conditions. Not zero loss. So you're never risk of zero loss. There's always a risk of loss. But right now, that loss would be quite a bit less than it's going to be. And and John Hurd's going to talk about this, but you have both of those things kind of going on that we're under cold soil conditions. And if it's really that dry on the surface, I'm not I'm not too worried about that 28% hydro- hydrolyzing and, and turning into ammonia and disappearing because we just don't have that amount of moisture there. Okay. Now uh so Warren Schneckenberger
0: out from uh I'm going to say my neck of the woods because we're a lot closer than you and I say, Pete, but uh, he says, I vote this year in Eastern Ontario. We talk about denitrification for a change instead of volatilization, which I think is a vote for rain, which Warren's not that far from, from where I am. We're in good shape for moisture. Like I, I am okay with it and I feel bad for Western Canada. And I wish I could send you some of it because we're, actually I think okay.
1: this is why, why Warren's making the comment because as opposed to being too dry, um, you have a lot of moisture, and he's concerned about denitrification, as Pete mentioned, so nitrogen in the nitrate form, whether it's a fall apply, which you don't do out east usually, but in the spring he's concerned about what John mentioned on his tape is you're going to have warm soil conditions, nitrogen's going to move from the ammonium form to the nitrate form, and he's voting for denitrification as being his potential concern-
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and now and we have can get both at. We we yeah. can get both absolutely, but but denitrification is the bigger the bigger concern most of the time here. Having said that, there are years when on my own winter wheat I will apply a urea inhibitor product to my 28% nitrogen because I'm putting it on a damp soil surface with no rain in the forecast. If my soil surface is damp now, raise hydrolysis where, where we're looking at getting those losses become really quite significant. But the soil's dry, so or relatively dry, so once it moves in, the risk of of losses from denitrification still aren't that high. I'm not on a heavy clay soil, I'm on a, a clay loam to a silt loam. And so all of these factors play. Know your soil type, know your risk.
1: I want to jump in on Pete's comment, and it it plays into Jason. Jason, I would just tell you, if you have any concerns, use the inhibitor and you'll feel better. And it's money well spent, and it's going to be the better thing to do. Now to go to Pete's comment about the surface application and the moisture issue. The one thing that the growers need to consider, in, in Pete's case, winter wheat, you're applying that UAN on winter wheat and you're assuming it's going to get to the soil, but you do have a fair bit of vegetative material and you have to consider that you may not get enough moisture on a thatch layer to wash that into the soil as you would on a bare soil or or low residue. So it may actually take more moisture to wash that nitrogen into a winter wheat stand or a pasture stand or a grass stand than it normally does for a tilled field so if we say that a quarter inch to a half inch can wash urea into the ground or uan and you're all good to go that's one thing but if you're thinking about a zero till field or a winter wheat field and you're applying nitrogen over the top and you think it's only going to take a quarter to a half an inch you may not find that that's enough because you're going to wash it onto the residue it's going to sit on the residue until it gets Further down into the soil, so you could have a mobilization occurring. So it it does again become situationally specific, which is why I So need to Ray wins,
0: me. yeah. Ray wins because it's the first time we've mentioned immobilization. So there you go. So I've we did manage to get all times. the different weight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but nitrogen immobilization is a thing. So and I feel like Pete he's picking on your wheat crop. So to no to no 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 asthma, I know. I'm just. Ray, I'm kidding. Besides, you called me creepy last week, but in a loving way. He said, <laughs> I said "Okay, it with love.
1: So, I said with love." I know,
0: with love. Okay, but Pete, um, we did have, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we did have a couple questions come in on Twitter right before we were going to head to air. Um, there are, of course, many questions, and there will be a wheat school coming up with you and Joanna Fallings that tackle a lot of these nitrogen on winter wheat questions for this the spring period. Um, but we we do have. Maybe let's answer that question about, you know, is if if you're going 100 percent and right now, is it too early? Is now the time to go? Let's tackle that question first. And then there's more here in the comments. We'll get to, too.
2: Yeah. And, and so absolutely, it's if you have big wheat, it's too early and it's too early for some of the reasons Ray talked about in terms of opening yourself up for law potential. So what everybody's noticing right now, and it's cool, like I cannot tell you how excited I am because everybody's actually out in their wheat field digging up wheat plants and counting tillers and suddenly wheat is a real crop. It's it's almost as big as corn or, or canola in Western Canada. It's unbelievable. It's just oh, it's unbelievable, Lindsay. It really is. But what they're noticing is that the wheat plant's making all, all sorts of more tillers and they're, they're saying, well... Like, how do I count these tillers? And, and you know, what's the big deal? Why don't I just put all the nitrogen on now and be done with it? Well, let's just go back and and I'm going to liken it to corn for just a second, because if we side dress corn and some of the comments in Twitter were talking about, well, it's only two weeks in between when I put my first, and sh- first shot on and second shot on. Well, I just put it all on at once. In corn, if we put all the nitrogen up front, We come back four weeks later and side dress we always know it takes 10% less nitrogen in the corn crop if we side dress versus all up front that's a loss factor there's no other reason for it but a loss factor so all up front is 10% nitrogen and in corn four weeks is a big deal and corn grows from you know the 1st of May till the 30th of September or the 15th of October, it's got a much longer growing window. But two or three weeks in the wheat crop isn't enough to, to make a difference. That's ridiculous. That two or three weeks makes a huge difference in the stem elongation and on how much that that wheat crop is going to lodge. So I, I really think, number one, it's too early on big wheat and in small wheat, you should hit it already. You should have already had the nitrogen on. But on big wheat that's got lots of tillers, if you apply the nitrogen now, particularly if you apply the full shot now, you're at risk for loss. You're going to support all those small tillers that are never going to make a head. The one tweak today from Dennis was 235 heads per square foot. Like... We, we, we hope that we can get 60 or 70 in our dreams. We get to a hundred or 110 heads per square foot. Like it just, you can't support that. So if the wheat plant puts a bunch of resources into tillers that don't go to head, it's sort of a waste of those resources. It's not a, a total waste but but it is a waste you open yourself up to loss you try to support tillers that are never going to do you any good and you make it all go to vegetative grow, growth so it's going to fall over flat you want to do it right you're going to split your nitrogen and on that big wheat you're going to wait because you don't want to apply the nitrogen to support those late tillers so you wait till it goes reproductive growth stage 30 and that's when you put on the first shot of nitrogen there we go so now that's oh.
1: I want to toss in yep. a Western comment. So so Pete mentioned the lodging. Definitely, that is a, a, a big problem that we would see with that early application and all up front. The other one is forcing that plant to use more moisture when we're going to be moisture challenged a little bit later. So a lot of vegetative growth early, a lot of water being used for vegetative growth. It's not going to support grain yield. So. For what Pete says, it makes perfect sense out east, but it also makes perfect sense out west.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy. <laughs> we need to keep them in check sometimes, right? I'm just, okay, showing so
1: I, just showing the love. <laughs> yeah, so,
0: so, so I am. I think this answers Doug McComb's question um, of saying, don't we get much less vol- volatilization now in spring versus summer? So why wouldn't it be safe to put some N on my wheat and does soil temp matter? But Pete, you're saying... If it's small wheat, it should have had a shot by now. It's the big wheat you're worried about, the stuff that doesn't need encouragement to put up more tillers.
2: Yeah, and and so if you have the in-between wheat, because there's wheat that is sort of in-between. It's not really small. It's not got tons of fall tillers. Then for sure, some nitrogen right now on that wheat so it can support some of those spring tillers, absolutely fair. But wheat's a funny beast because... It doesn't take many days difference in planting in the fall to go from, you know, what's going to be really big wheat with lots of tillers. And then a week later, you get into wheat that's just sort of mediocre. A week after that, you've got tiny wheat because of how the fall works here. And so there's not a lot of wheat that that really would be be getting fertilized at this stage. You're either wait until grow stage 30 or you're already done on most of the wheat.
1: Yeah, I, I think I have to separate out two things, in Doug's comment on on the the Twitter was, you know, the volatilization potential, and yes, it's lower when it's cooler, but what Pete's talking about is the efficiency for the crop. I you know it's not necessarily the right thing to do, so from a nitrogen management perspective, yes, it's a good thing, but from a, a bit growth perspective, it's not a good thing, so you're kind of stuck there.
2: Yeah, And All soil right, temperature, do... by the way, always matters. Always, t- yes. Soil temperature always matters.
0: Now, what it matters for, we're not sure. But let's just say it always matters. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so John here says, um, around, that, around that idea, what would be the ideal, in air quotes, I like them, uh, temperature to surface apply 28 or 32%? And what is a good rule of thumb for getting that surface applied product incorporated? Who wants to grab that one?
1: Well, is Peter, they, high they high mentioned high 28 or 32 and 32 is kind of foreign in the West because That's... it just slopes out too quick for us with our cold temperature. So if you want to take a shot first and all the way
2: in after. Yeah. So by the way, we don't, we only use 32 if we can get it in season. If we're storing over winter, we're still 28% just like you, you guys are out, out West Ray. But as far as what is an ideal temperature well if you're going to incorporate it then temperature doesn't become nearly as important as long as you do a good job of incorporation and if it's on the soil surface then the lower the temperature the better that is because the lower the temperature the less loss or the less risk you're at for losing some of that nitrogen so ideal temperature uh i don't know what I don't like driving on wheat when it's minus 12 Celsius. If you drive on wheat when it's minus 12 Celsius, the wheat leaves actually get frozen enough that the tires will damage the wheat leaves. But between about minus 10 and anywhere from there up until probably plus 5, you really, the risk of loss is pretty low. And then it slowly increases and the warmer it is, the more risk you're at for loss.
1: So, for John's question, I'd have to ask: you know, is it just about applying the fertilizer or is he applying it to a crop situation? If it's just about applying the fertilizer, I'm with Pete. Um, Cooler is better and you'd want at least an inch and a half to two inches of incorporation. But if you've got, you know, a winter wheat crop coming up, you're not going to incorporate it unless you're wiping out the stand. Um, And so then, you know, you look at temperature about, now, I would say five degrees Celsius and lower, but there's been work in Montana showing that we get volatile losses even under cooler conditions. But I will say there's a caveat on that research is that a lot of that application was going into soils that were almost at field capacity. So when you put it on frozen ground with a lot of water in it and then it thaws in January and February, you've got the moisture to cause the hydrolysis. But if it goes in like most prairie soils, very, very dry, it's not such a big deal. So um, I just had to add that extra comment to John is, are you just applying the nitrogen to ground or is it to a crop?
2: Yeah. And uh, never okay. on snow. Never not ever. on snow.
0: Anyone even ask that question and they don't even with me. Okay. So although I'm not I was. going to on that one because I have yeah, my, own, exactly. like, my
1: own comments about snow. So that's okay.
0: Well and it's, not, yeah, it's well... not yellow
1: snow, Lindsay. It's about the depth okay. of snow. Urea Mm -hmm. can melt ice down to about minus 7, minus 10 C, and it'll go through roughly an inch to two inches of snow. As long as it's not a frozen ice layer, it's not always a horrendous situation. But when it it just hangs up on the soil surface, on the ice layer, then you get those volatile conditions. You get runoff, you get a lot of bad things. So six inches of snow. Not a good thing. We don't want bad things, Lindsay. No, no bad things. We
0: don't. We want all good things. So, there you go. All right. so Farmer Schneck, Warren Schneckenberger, uh, has a great question that uh, works into the comment um, that you had, Ray, about you know, is this onto residue? Is this onto leaf tissue? All those sorts of things. So, using streamer bars to apply UAN to wheat, what amount of rain is needed to incorporate? Yeah,
2: and so... Pete lives (laughs) there. Go for it. (laughs) No, and so it, like w- the beauty of streamer bars or streamers is that we're making raindrops. And so typically we don't get much hang up on the plant material. We we want we don't want hang up on the plant material because if we do we get leaf burn. And so that's why I push growers to use, you know, the streamer bars because they make big droplets and they're dropping them straight down like a raindrop would and they bounce off as a general rule. Uh, you don't want to do it. By the way, don't ever put on wheat that has white frost on it. If you have white frost on it, it will adhere that fertilizer to the leaf and it will just smoke the crop. A couple of years ago, I forgot to to mention that to a grower. Oh, it was just, it was nasty. So don't do that. But you have big droplets. Big droplets tend to have enough moisture there that they bounce off the leaf material and they'll even roll off some of the residue not necessarily all of the residue, but some of the residue. So then it becomes more along the lines of what Ray talked about at the beginning. A quarter of an inch will generally do a pretty good job of incorporating that. Maybe not a hundred percent of it, but the majority of it, half an inch for sure you've got it in the ground. And that that's sort of the game we're playing in. The worst is when you get that one tenth of an of a rain. And then it dries out and you get another one-tenth of an inch and then it dries out. Because every time that happens, you re-wet things and it's still at the soil surface. And and that's when we start to worry about those increased level of losses. Also, I'd like
0: just to point out that I'm really glad that we went from inches of rain to tenths, but then our rain is given to us in millimeters that fall. So this is something I love about farming. We just, we all just... (laughs)
1: we brought in the metric system in Western Canada and changed it to millimeters. So growers felt better when they got a certain amount of rain, 50 millimeters. This sounds like so much more, just like changing your gas from gallons to liters. And it went up Mm -hmm. four times overnight and people just said, Oh, that's the metric system. It's okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and Uh, it's why when back in many years ago, many moons ago, when I used to run, I'd always say in kilometers, because it sounds further anyway. (sighs) Um, yeah, it's, it's not. Okay. So that's not, that's not how distance works. All right. So now uh Lara over our real agriculture team, Lara has mentioned that this is episode 21, the road to the second clip. We may never get there. It is already quarter to nine. I don't even know how that happened. Um, so I'm actually going to skip over because the second clip was Brian Barris. Um, and it was uh, a, a really good chat about some of these different, uh, the different products and enhanced products. We're st- we've talked a lot about them. We can talk a little bit more, but uh, we would be remiss to to talk about nitrogen and not talk split apps. So I'm actually going to skip to our third clip, uh, which is with Paul Sullivan out my way, um, out here in Kimburn and Egburn, uh, talking in a, in a cornfield in June. I forget which year. This might've been two years ago. Um, and we are talking about split application nitrogen. So, so we'll go to the clip and then uh, I'm sure there'll be much to discuss after that.
4: So now you're a big fan of split applications, right? Yeah. Um, how do you you know how do you assess what's in that second that's that that second split? Lots of ways of doing it. We use an end test. We use our experience with levels of nitrogen. We assess the crop and see what it looks like. The uh, nitrogen that's applied, we always feel if we split it, we can more appropriately apply the rate that the crop is setting up for. If it's a good crop, the one thing we find is that the crop will probably use more of the nitrogen uh, that is applied, so the efficiency of use is better. We'll get more yield for less nitrogen. If it's a not so good crop, has some issues, some compaction or some water logging, In, in some cases those fields will definitely need more nitrogen relative to the yield. Nitrogen is a key driver in yield, and we wanna make sure it isn't short, and we sometimes have that opportunity after the crop is in and growing like this has, this has been side-dressed a couple days now, to be able to say, okay, we're gonna put a nitrogen rate on to make sure that nitrogen, it all comes down to nitrogen not limiting to the crop. Mm. And we can over-apply nitrogen, we can underapply nitrogen, but if we split apply nitrogen, generally we have a better timing so that nitrogen isn't sitting without the crop there if it's all put on up front. Final question, talk about the split and application. Um, What was early, what was late? And you mentioned obviously you just applied a couple of days ago. Yeah, so this field would have had about uh, 15 pounds in the starter, it had 30 pounds as UAN pre-emerged with the herbicide, Um, and then we came back in here I believe with about another 70 pounds of in. So the total in on this particular field uh, is approximately 125 pounds of in. Right. And we expect we can grow 200 bushel corn on this particular field with that much in.
0: I just like our music. Um, okay, so now over. <laughs> I'm just, it's getting late. Okay. Um, All right. So there's a couple different things to unpack here, of course, in that it really does come down to what crop we're talking about as to what we're considering with the split application event. I mean, that's our, that's the big one. Um, So where do you want to start? Do we want to start on wheat and chasing protein or yield and that discussion? Let's start there. Maybe. Because this one, this is definitely one we hear from the West and the East probably just as much is if I'm, I'm, I'm going to top dress or split up N, how do I go after protein or how do I go after yield? Can I do both? Peter, tell me
2: we can do both. Oh, yeah, you can do both. Absolutely, you can do both. But it all, the, the more yield you make, the more nitrogen you make to still keep protein, right? You need more nitrogen to support high protein in high yield wheat. And it's a pretty easy kind of thought process to go through. The later you apply the more likely a higher percentage will go towards protein. So you want most of it to go towards protein. You put that nitrogen application on after heading 10 days after it heads out, you go in there with 30 pounds of nitrogen almost all of that will go to protein. Not necessarily all. We actually thought it would all go to protein. Some of it can go to yield and make bigger kernels. You can't make more kernels anymore, but you can make bigger kernels if you're short nitrogen and you get enough moisture. But this split nitrogen thing, I mean, particularly on a year like this in Western Canada, split nitrogen makes so much sense. It makes sense in the corn crop here, as Paul was talking about, because dang it, you can make such a better decision when the corn is already kind of at that that six-leaf stage, that seven-leaf stage, when you're going to go out there and side dress. You can do the nitrogen sample. You can look at the stand. Last year, we had a really cold spring. We had stands out there of 24,000 plants. You you all know that your maximum yield potential has been somewhat reduced when you only have a stand of 24,000 plants. If you went out on the First of May, and put on two hundred pounds of nitrogen the whole shot for the crop, and then you end up with twenty four thousand plants. It's like you've wasted that that money. So we can split nitrogen always makes you smarter. You can make a better decision on that second application. And then Lindsay, you want to get protein? It's it's simple. Look at the look at the crop at anthesis at heading. And say, oh my gosh, we got the rain, I got the stand, I got the crop. Well, then we better get in there and add some more nitrogen. And if you're looking at kind of uh, you know, trying to do both yield and protein, then you're probably going to target early flag leaf stage, flag leaf stage for that second or final application, and and hope that you can predict how what the weather's going to be like after that. But split nitrogen. I mean, gosh, it just makes sense in so many ways. Plus, it's an environmental, reduces lodging in the wheat crop, makes you smarter. It's an environmental win. What's wrong with split nitrogen?
0: Well, right. Is there anything wrong with split nitrogen?
1: Uh, Peter used the word dang it so that's like the euphemism for I'm all right all the time and that's fine but I think you said when you had to unpack it about the crop situation so you know on corn um, I I see the split application making sense you're using high rates of nitrogen you're typically on a sandier higher loss potential situation nothing wrong with split application in the 90s and the i'm an old guy when i was doing work on split applications and nitrogen and the prairies all up front end pretty much did the same thing as split application because we weren't challenged for losses now to pete's comment about protein if i want protein i get a drought i get high protein because i got low yield And to Pete's comment, again, if you want high yield, Lindsay, you want it all, typical Lindsay wants it all, I want high protein and high yield, then you want Mm -hmm. lots of nitrogen. But then to Pete's comment, you've got to split it because it's risky to put it all on. Right now, in a dry situation, I would counsel growers, I'm putting 60 to 70% on at planting or at seeding. And if the rain comes, I've got moisture probes in the ground, I've got rainfall coming, I'm going to do the in-season application. And then it brings up a whole another set of questions about is it UAN? Do I dilute it with water? Is it urea dissolved in water? When do I put it on? If you want protein, generally flowering, but any time after heading is going to be a good time uh, prior to stem elongation for yield. But after that, as Pete said, is going more, more of that nitrogen goes to protein.
0: Well, and I guess that was my my question, I guess, in, in very dry conditions, like we talked about you know, if this is when you would use some protected nitrogen, these sorts of things. But when you're going in so to such dry conditions that could potentially significantly cap your yield, you know, is this year that a split application really makes sense? Because you can I think go the in economically and make the most sense right?
1: for my family yeah. that we would be looking at 60 to 70 percent of a nitrogen requirement, whether it's wheat or canola. Uh, And we'd be going in at seeding time. And then if the rain came, we would start to make plans for either a liquid application as a foliar top dress or streamer bars, or we'll be going for a granular application if we're after yield and we want to get it on early enough. So we're going to have time for that to wash into the root zone, get taken up if we're looking at protein as pete says it's later and we'd have another set of management conditions for that but yeah dry conditions we reduce our nitrogen application up front And we look at the split application. So, damn it, I guess. Oh, dang it. I guess Pete's right. What's wrong with split applications? It makes sense.
0: Nothing. Now, there are, of course, and this is as we're approaching the end of our show, we've got a whole bunch of questions that are coming in. So, we are going to get to them. But, Lara, uh, here with Real Agriculture, I know that last year, um, she and Wheat Wheat Pete had all sorts of discussions about late N, and she says it worked out well. So they did go in they went in with that late end they did the split app and it worked out well for protein and they got good yield so thumbs yeah, up baby it worked yeah uh, baby yeah, yeah.
2: okay the one- so now oh go ahead no the, just the one thing the, about about yep. the split or the late application. If we mm-hmm. if we do a dry granule, right, we go in there with um, ametus in Ontario growers love ametus for that late application, a little bit of sulfur and and some nitrogen. Man, if you put that dry granule on top of dry soil and never get a rain. Yeah, that's not going to do very much for you. So there, it, there is no such thing as a perfect system. There are some some things that still need to happen to make that work. But anyway, sorry. Carry on with the questions, Lindsay. My apologies. Yes,
0: I was going to say, Pete. I'm trying to keep us on time, and you're going to make me go over um, by a lot. Anyway, and I'm <laughs> going to tell Sean it was all you. Okay. So uh, John says it's split. Still advised for corn if you use liquid starter on the planter and dry in the strip till six inches on sandy loam i don't know where john farms if that matters
2: yeah so so the answer is uh, i would say still yes and and again it comes down to those same factors put 100 pounds of nitrogen on up front one of the things we haven't talked at all about that i think's way cool in the corn game is that we're starting to look at at the value of nitrogen in the row at planting time and so greg stewart now is talking about doing a nitrate sample in the row at six leaf corn, and you better have 50 parts per million of nitrogen in the row area. That, that's a lot of nitrogen. So So having the strip tiller there is perfect. But if you strip till and you put on all the nitrogen, then you better use something like ESN, because number one, all the nitrogen in that band, even at six inches, you know, you're getting pretty hot. If you're up 160, 180, some growers now are 200 pounds of nitrogen, man, you could get into some real burn, even in that positioning. So you have to start looking at maybe protecting you from a burn perspective by using some poly urea, because it's much less burn potential, plus it'll become available over time. But you still don't have the advantage of knowing how your crop is is has done, what the weather's been like, what the stand is like, what kind of a crop yield potential you have at, at side dress timing. So even on even a strip till system, I I still like the split nitrogen application. I, I think it makes you a smarter farmer.
1: Yeah, I think what John might be getting at is it's a starter nitrogen enough to carry him until the strip till at depth placement Carries him the rest of the way, so he wants to preclude the side dress, and that, and that again becomes situationally specific, as Pete says. If that deep placed nitrogen in the strip is still going to be available, and every year is going to be a little different, so a, a controlled release product, a polymer coated product, or an inhibitor that stabilizes the nitrogen in the ammonium form for six to eight weeks could carry him. Um, and that's what you have to evaluate with these enhanced deficiency fertilizer products if they can. As John Heard said, they're going to cost more because they come at a premium, but if they offset the need to make a side dress that may cost 6 or $8 an acre, the premium you pay may put you further ahead, but... Every year is different, and you have to evaluate that. And you can get Pete to do that because he loves evaluating things.
0: <laughs> he really does. Now, uh, Jim Jim has a comment here is split n makes you smarter. Variable rate split n makes you a genius. So that's Pete, that's the next thing for your for your setup there. We highly I expect like next year, Um, that you're going to do variable at split end. Okay, Uh, Eric Pateman has a question here for you. Ray, how much of your research was done in dry years? What are your thoughts on water-driven yield potential technology?
1: I think water-yield-driven potential technology is awesome. Sticking a a moisture probe in the ground and knowing at what depth your crop is accessing the moisture when it's recharged, It, it makes for great great potential for crop sequencing for choice of crops in a rotation and so when i look at that comment about dry years my research in dry years is that related to nitrogen and so obviously if it's related to nitrogen loss potentials higher in in wetter years versus drier years but uh, if we're looking at water-driven yield potential technology and looking at Where should we place enhanced efficiency fertilizers? I think it's a a tremendous benefit to understand in your growing areas, your fields or within your field, where you have conditions for for nitrogen loss. Because it's all based on, on moisture. And just like crop yields based on moisture, nitrogen loss is based on moisture as well. So I'm a big thumbs up guy on soil moisture probes and seeing the graphs and watching where the water is being extracted and you know last couple of years we grew some awesome crops in the prairies because the water was three or four feet down and if we didn't have moisture probes we wouldn't have known that we wouldn't have made good decisions and making a top just decision based on moisture that's coming or moisture that we don't know is there and if you don't know it's there you'd make a wrong decision so i'm i'm a big fan mr pateman big fan
0: there you go if we, we have to measure to manage, right? So if we can measure it, we can manage for it. Um, Jason has a point here about PAN, which is post-enthesis application. And so Jason, hats off to you for creating a new acronym because agriculture didn't have enough. Okay, so post-enthesis says 10 gallons per acre of UAM plus 10 gallons per acre of water. Just as soon as anthesis is completed, dissolved urea is better since it burns less. So yes, burn is a concern. Right, Pete? We do want to make sure that we're not hurting any leaf tissue.
2: Exactly. And so uh, there's, uh, I, I really like streamers, nozzles in that situation because they burn less. But lots of people have this concept that they'd rather put it on the leaf. And then they can get some foliar pig. You don't get much nitrogen to go in through the leaf most of the time, but regardless. So, dissolved urea is better, but do it at night when it's cooler. Uh, We have high humidity and the bigger the droplets so that like, unless you're, unless you're just using low rates and you are using dissolved urea, I really don't like 28% sticking on the leaf because it just burns. It's way too high a salt content and, and diluting it helps because you're more volume. It's more likely to roll off the leaf, but you still, you just burn potential is a concern. You burn the flag leaf. It's all bad. Just full stop. Mm -hmm. So Jason's
1: looking at a protein influence is what he's after with that application. Post-enthesis is strictly for protein. And yeah, you're going to get leaf scorched, but maybe post-enthesis, it's not a big deal or as much a big deal. But to to Pete's comment, it's still going to have to wash in. You know, if we get 7 to 10% through leaf absorption, that's kind of what the numbers show, maybe graciously 20%, but it's a a small amount and people would argue it doesn't take much. If we put on 10 pounds of N, it all gets into the crop, get a half percent protein. But I think that's what Jason's after. And, you know, again, people are looking for uses for their high clearance sprayers after herbicide season is over, after fungicide season is over to justify, and not to be disparaging, But $300,000 investment, damn it, I don't want it to be a pasture ornament. So maybe I can find something to do with it. And it's not always the right thing to do just because you can. That did sound just disparaging, he, didn't yeah. it? I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, well, no, you know what? I think we just have to work on your delivery a bit, Ray. I mean, we need to talk about the, you know, the economies of scale. And we just need to talk about, you know, that that lowering the cost per acre for the for the Yeah, ownership. I'm not
1: necessarily That's... a patient person. I'm sorry <laughs> about that.
0: <laughs> uh, so I'm just, you know, I know it's not disparaging. And, but I, I, I do think the adage of just because you can, doesn't mean you should is always a good one. And you get 10 points for using the word scorch. Um, I haven't actually been keeping track of the points. I'll make them up at the end. Um, but really the audience wins. So anyway, okay, I'm gonna, I do I'm like gonna, the I'm push
1: it in my favor, Lindsay, because you can doesn't mean you should Peter. You ever tried to pee on electric fence? gosh that's something we were, you should not do to, because gentlemen,
0: you we were doing so well we really and, and my
2: brother my wonderful brother that i love dearly and like like he was the guy that that uh, you know suggested i should do that when i was knee high to a grasshopper that uh, rotten guy they just...
0: <laughs> oh goodness that's okay my sisters used to tell me don't worry lenny you're wearing rubber boots it won't hurt yeah no it still hurts Thanks, girls. Um, anyway, so Jason says, okay. Um, oh yeah. Uh, also, Warren would like to buy your high clearance spare for three hundred thousand because he says that's cheap. Um, and Jason says this post anthesis nitrogen um, is a flat fan nozzle directed at the head. But Peter's precaution is correct. Why are we, why are we directing it at the head? Are we mixing it with fungicide? What are we doing there, Jason? Please expand.
2: No, 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 no. no. You're you're not mixing it with fungicide. It's too late. Fungicide. Okay, so
0: why is it why is it directed and- at the head?
2: so so the thought process is that that if we can get it right on the head that any nitrogen there will immediately go into the grain right it's right there by the grain plus we get better coverage on the upper leaves so it really is just try, trying to increase the level of foliar uptake
0: all right we are we are running over time here big shout out to margaret may who says that she's been a guest on the show multiple times. She has. She's been on our site a lot. She's even visited Sean in Picture Butte, and she doesn't have a hat. So we're going <laughs> to start a club of the people that <laughs> don't have real egg hats that probably should. Okay, so Margaret, you are one of them. And thanks for watching tonight. Um, and and Jason, of course, is clarifying no, he is, that, that application is never with a fungicide. Peter is correct. It's to aim it at the head. And there you go. It is a beautiful hat. So I did get a hoodie though. Oh, and Margaret has a really nice hoodie. So there you go. Okay. So we, we didn't get to the one clip that was about nitrogen uh, stabilizers and and those products, but we covered it quite a bit. The one point that Brian Barris made that I did want to point out though, is he does make the caution of making sure that handling of that product, um, making sure that we're not um, ending up with potentially damaging of that product before it actually gets in the ground. So that was one point that was in that video that I just wanted to throw out there. Um, and also, Jason is now making fun of me saying that uh, we did not have this show in hand because I lost control two minutes in. So, Jason, if you have a hat, please return it to me because you don't get one anymore. Um, but you were probably right.
1: Okay, hey, Lindsay, um, in your yeah. in, in yeah. defense, Jason, mm-hmm. you have to look at who she's dealing with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, most of you in the audience don't know that this was all my idea. So here at Relag, and that was one thing I wanted to mention. We love, we'll take, we'll take um, your comments on, is there a particular show or a topic you want us to tackle? We absolutely will. And so um, we, we brainstorm about these things. And then we brainstorm about the kind of, you know, who can speak to it? Who do we want? We try and get East and West. Um, And this was all my plan. This was my design. So, so,
1: so Lindsay, just to help you save face, um, I am, I am, freely available if any of your listeners have questions that we didn't get to you have my contact information whether it's telephone cell phone or email please let them have it and i'm happy to i mean these questions that you ask and what pete's discussing it it is very deep it requires more questions and you've done a great job hurting the cats tonight no doubt but for anybody that feels they have some specific questions that they'd like to ask i'm i'm happy to to share my time with that i think what you guys do at real ag is wonderful you try to get the message out share some thoughts show people that there's resources out there introduce them to those resources and i think it's great so i'm happy to help out if there's a need
0: thank you and of course pete how do we get a hold of you
2: pete's word twitter uh uh tweet me or text me or email me and man if there's questions that ray has a good answer for i'll be putting that information up on the word because that's uh, i love that system it's it's such a two-way street and yeah uh, have at it
0: yeah okay and for anyone uh watching wheat pete's word goes up every wednesday there is a new one we just crossed 300 episodes which is a fantastic milestone. So every Wednesday, head over to realagriculture.com or you can listen on the phone line, which I maybe Pete, you've memorized the new number, but I haven't, Uh, but just head over to realagriculture.com and you can find it or of course uh, on Twitter uh, at Wheat Pete and we do share it there as well. This this gentleman has been a fantastic time and I did learn a few things. So that means it was time well spent. So thank you so much for... uh, for entertaining all the questions and for all your knowledge and for sharing of your time. I do appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Pete,
0: much appreciated. All right, and that's our show. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you to uh, everyone who hopped on in the comments. As Ray mentioned, if you didn't get the answer that uh, you needed or you have a follow-up, do reach out, get in touch with us. We will connect you with the person who might have that answer. Um, and of course you can find us at real agriculture on Twitter and social media. Um, and uh, you can always weigh in there or watch for the upcoming wheat school episode with Wheat Pete and Joanna Fallings uh, tackling this nitrogen question on wheat. Um, and of course head over to realagriculture.com slash agronomists tomorrow and make sure you sign up for your continuing education unit questions. Um, And that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.